And I'm A40 here. I've got a confession. There's a story that I haven't told you about my time on Bondi Beach. So when I went back to Australia, when I went back to Sydney last, okay, it was November of 2022, and some things had not turned out exactly as I had planned. I had some disappointment in relationships. I had uh, disappointment in some uh, earning opportunities. I had disappointment with a client. Disappointment with a couple of clients. I didn't intend to land back in Sydney the second November in a row. But here I was. I was a little bit discombobulated. And so, what do you do? You walk from Coogee to Bondi to Watson's Bay. And so, I'm on the cliffs over Bondi Beach. And it's getting late in the evening. So, November in Australia, that's, that's winter time. And so the sun's starting to dip in the horizon. Just such a beautiful view here over Bondi Beach. Just this gorgeous golden sun just slowly dropping in the horizon. I'm walking from Bondi to Watson's Bay and back, just walking along the edges of the the cliff. And uh, there's this bloke that I I pass a couple of times, and he he looks like a psychiatrist, and he looks pensive. He looks like he's, he's filled with thought. And I just start up a conversation with the bloke, and it turns out he is a psychiatrist. So I'm talking to this lovely man who lives in a community that I'm very familiar with, all right, that has a lot of emotional resonance to me. A great psychiatrist. He, he works with the stars. He's, he's married. He's got kids. But uh, some, some inner loneliness or some, some inner need in him drove him out to the cliffs over Bondi Beach and there I was and so it's just a great place to start up like a social interaction and we started talking and we just really hit it off because we were a couple of truth seekers and really got down to brass tacks and he was in town to take a seminar and a certain approach to psychology and to healing and he was so kind he was so generous he he allowed me to lie down on a on a bench, and he gave me a 10-minute free sample of this new psychological approach that uh, he was learning. And he, like, he took me up to a 10,000-foot level in this approach, and I got to see the, the trajectory of my life from when I was a kid to where I am now and my longings and my yearnings. And he, and he you know, presented this like, very healing story to me, and it was just an amazing experience. I said, we, we need to stay in touch. And he gave me his email address. He says, I, I want to read your blog. I want to see your videos. And I made the mistake of putting links to my blog and my videos in my first email to him. And the problem, so I've noticed from a couple of people just reached out to me over the past two weeks where they reached out to me with attachments or links, uh, just somehow it automatically goes into my spam folder. Think about all the dozens of people who've reached out to me over the years and they just ended up in my spam folder and they thought that I was rejecting them, but it wasn't me. It was my Gmail spam that was rejecting them. And then I write to this lovely psychiatrist I met on the cliffs over Bondi. And because I made the mistake of including a couple of links in my first email to him, I, I don't think he ever got it. I think it just went right to spam. It was such a the beginning of a, of a long and beautiful friendship that just never flowered. It just never took off. It just began and ended on the cliffs above Bondi Beach, just like so many relationships. All right, what does Steve Saylor have to say? He's talking here about the art of uh, noticing. 
hearing students will have no clue what they're doing there. And that will make life better, you know, because it's not racist. Uh, you know, the country. Yeah, I was an aristocrat of the spirit. Like meeting other aristocrats of the spirit on the cliffs above Bondi Beach. But nothing came of it because I, I didn't go about it the right way. Guys, if you send, you send an introductory but, email to somebody, like don't initially include a link because somehow that always ends up in, in the spam folder. And it's, it's not fair, but that's the, that's the way of the world. Gosh, could have been a long, beautiful friendship and has been derailed by a spam folder. You know, if we roll the country back to 2011, it's not, you know, probably be in a lot better shape. I, I don't disagree with that, but I have a question about that before I get into my bonus questions with you, Steve, um, which is, do you think in some sense, white identity politics are inevitable or even desirable? Uh, because this is something I've resisted as somebody who was sort of raised classical liberal type. I mean, not, not libertarian, but more classical liberal and really enjoyed the principles of liberalism. But I just don't see how that's one, not inevitable, but two, maybe even. I, I don't know about you, but I just love the principles of liberalism. Is there anything that gets you more excited than the principles of a good old political philosophy? I mean, I've been with women. I've been walking with blokes uh, on the cliffs of Bondi Beach. I've been to shul. I've celebrated Shabbat. I've known first love. I've known what it's like to first kiss a woman. I know the joy of running marathons. I know what it's like to be able to do pull-ups at age 57. I've, I've seen the Dallas Cowboys in my time right, win four Super Bowls. So I have tasted of life, but is there anything more exciting and more enjoyable than the good old principles of liberalism? I can't think of anything offhand. One could argue that it's morally justified when there is an all-out mainstream media assault on a particular race, and it's not the race they would tell you it's on. <laughs> yeah. Okay, this is Bo Weingard, a psychologist who lost his job for doing research that was just a little too edgy. Right. Like, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that the, the typical, like, uh, mainstream outlet is anti-white in some sense. So I don't know what you're at it because I don't think I don't know that I've ever seen you write specifically about that. But like, do you think I guess there are two questions there. One is the predictive. Do you think it will happen or is happening? And two, is it morally justifiable? I mean, I'm, I'm sort of a 2007 era stuff white people like personality. And, you know, so so a big thing among white people in 2007, according to the website SWPL, was raising awareness. And one of the things I try to do is raise awareness of just how crazy and virulent the establishmentarian rhetoric has become mm -hmm. about whites. Mm -hmm. It's the kind of thing that uh, would set off Jewish alarms. Now, everybody assumes like, oh, whites, they're a giant majority, except pretty soon they won't be a majority. <laughs> right. And then... Wait, Curious Gazelle is hosting Justin Murphy? How did she get... How did she get Justin Murphy? No, I think that that's a, I'm guessing that that's a joking reference to uh, Pride and Prejudice, but it I'm going to call you that And anyway. people probably won't understand so, that here because this is my Spaces account, Gazelle Spaces, so there's no reference to Pride and Prejudice or Elizabeth here. Well, there you go. I'm, I'm cultured. I'm cultured. I noticed that. I caught that. So okay. I'm going to call you Elizabeth. Okay, like okay. okay um, Mr. Darcy, I'll, I'll let you speak. Uh, so, Mr. Darcy. So, um, yeah, you can, you can do anything. You can take this any direction you want. I don't care, but... Um, I mean, I will say that, you know, you 
you're interesting because for a while I thought you and I were friendly, but then you also came at me pretty hard with, I don't even remember what. It was a, and I, and I know day, it's all good. It was I, a dear diary entry. I mean, I've been meaning to actually I'm completely fine. No, no, I like okay. it. Yeah. Fine. Um, um, no, I just to finish yeah, my, okay. just to finish my thought. I'm totally, I was giving people context. Uh, I'm totally cool with it. And I just, I just wanted to share it. I thought it was funny that, you know, a few months I thought you and I were kind of, uh, you know, friendly. I thought, oh, okay, we're, we're vibing. We're, we're friendly. We're like, you know, just uh, Twitter interlocutors talking a little bit in the DMs about philosophy and religion and stuff like that here and there. And uh, then also recently you came at me hard with something. I don't even remember what it was, but I, you were like coming at me hard, very critical, very aggressive, but I, I, I respect that. So let's do it. Okay. Well, I, oh, I will, I'm we glad go. you didn't take offense to that. Well, actually, I, I wouldn't have even cared if you took events to it. It would have been more interesting if you got a bit offended. But obviously you and you interpreted my tweet as, as being offensive as well, that I came hard on you and this and that. So it wasn't it wasn't really to annoy you, actually. It was more just a sort of matter of fact uh, analysis of the space and how I felt. Well, I like it, actually. In fact, the last time we did a space that I was in with you, uh, there was one guy who was kind of like, you know, blathering on a little bit, and you were so brutal. Uh, I was very surprised, and I was laughing myself uh, with the mic. I was laughing with, you know, with the mic off. Um, oh, I'm getting feedback. Um, yeah, uh, there was someone who you like. I was thinking, like, man, this guy's really rambling, and you like jumped it in was, uh, really quickly the, the, and and, the and really Muslim. aggressively. The independent Muslim. So, in any event, the point is, uh, I I like that you're aggressive in general, and uh, you know, this is the public sphere. I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to have good conversations with real thinking people about whatever we want. So, so do you it. have any friends who you converse with on, on, on the level that you want to? Or do you think fre um, friendships are just more lighthearted? You don't really want to talk to your friends about these things that are all up in your head? Oh, you know what? That's funny that, that's funny that you asked because this tweet that you've selected as the pretext for the conversation tonight actually was, now that you have me thinking about it, it was inspired by my friends and my my change of my like social life lately. Here and here's the story that kind of is the background. I just had my 37th birthday, so you know I'm I'm an old man now. I'm not I'm not cool anymore. I'm not young. I'm not I'm not like you know the wild and rebellious James Dean character that I like dreamed I was when I was a fucking kid. Uh, I'm 37 years old. I have a kid now, and you know I had a, a birthday, a little gathering, a little dinner, just a few of my close family friends. Uh, like two nights ago, this was like Saturday night. Me, my wife got a babysitter and like just like three couples uh that we're close friends with who have kids also we went out for dinner and i like felt the need to take lsd before i went to dinner and it was like a it was like a fancy it was a really fancy restaurant and it was like uh i didn't take a lot of lsd but like two like one or two hours before dinner i just impulsively without thinking about it at all i was like oh it'd just be kind of funny if i took like a little bit of lsd it was just like a microdose but I didn't really think about it and nothing bad happened. It was nothing bad happened at all. It was, and it was fine. It's like, whatever. But in retrospect, the next day after I was like, what the fuck's wrong with me? Like, I'm, I'm like an old man. Like I, you don't take LSD before you go to like a dinner with like three family friends who all of whom have kids and are like normal functioning, intelligent, successful people. Like, it was just weird. Like I just do things that are weird. Um, and like, there's nothing wrong with doing that. Okay, but so just to focus on that I, anecdote that you've shared. And you said that these were very sort of normal, successful people. So in what way are they successful? What do they do for a living? Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't mean, I don't mean like, uh, exceptionally, you know, not, no, not, but not I, I, not, I, and plus I know you don't yeah. want to dox your friends either, but like what sort of professions roughly are they in? The youth, you, you, oh, you know, success? um, 
oh yeah 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 i don't mean i don't mean any kind of grand or famous success or anything but like you know i don't know people who like are you know uh researchers at like think tanks and right. people who so have you ever you know have like you know yourself have you ever wanted to become a researcher at a think tank no 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 so there's no like kind of like career comparison or anything like that but these are just like you know like basically solid good these are people i go to church with like these are just good really nice good people good families oh, like do you solid go normal to church you know. high as well do you, do you feel the need no to i've never done i've never done I've never done that. No, no. I don't think that would be bad to do. Honestly, I don't think that's like sinful, but I, I don't do that. I, I'm, I've never done that. And so what is... So that was just like an example of like, for... I don't want to be like that anymore. I just want to be normal. I so, just want to be normal. Okay. Uh, so this was, this tweet then was in the context of you, um, of, of your kind of drug use. Is is that what it was then? That you want to change your lifestyle now? You want to change uh, what your body ingests, I guess? Is, is that what what it is no 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 you're kind of overreading it with there I, like that was just the proximate cause that was like a little pretext that kind of inspired it but no no i don't have any problems with drug use or abuse or anything and this is not pre- completely about that it's just that was kind of the a recent little episode that like kind of has me in this mood like i just want to be normal now I've, I've been weird long enough well can i just say something that y- you sound like you are about to cry <laughs> no, I'm not. No, no. Are you no, sure you true. sound you sound pretty emotional to me? <laughs> uh, no, no. That's I, I promise you that that's not true. Uh, I mean, I am a pretty emotional person, and that's also like weird. Like I, this is what I mean. I just want to be normal and chill, like not emotional. And uh, so, no. But in this moment, no. I'm and not. where do you get your LSD from? And what other drugs do you usually take if you do? Well, the thing is. I only use drugs pretty infrequently and I use them very, very judiciously. So usually I get them from like some random sketchy person, but then I have them forever because I only use them so slowly. So like this LSD I've had in my house for like, I, I've had it for like three years. I just got it from a buddy like three years ago. And I, I, I just microdose like once every in a blue moon, but like I picked the stupidest times to do it and that kind of shit. And I have a kid now. And so it's like, but why do you keep you're really not supposed to ever be on that have a kid. Um, I've seen that in, in a lot of your recent tweets, it's maybe been a year now that you kind of just keep saying every now and then that, oh, I've got a kid, I've got a kid now, and I've got to do this, I've got a kid. And things change when you have children. Very sort of... Yeah, it's kind of annoying. It's kind of an, it's kind of annoying when people talk about their kids and shit. I try not to do that. But, but like the reason I sometimes, I know, well, it's the reason I sometimes pepper that in there is because it just changes everything. And it's fucking, it's a mind fuck. Like it's, it's, uh, it's hard. It just changes everything. So, um, I try not to talk about that in detail. Like I don't post pictures of the little, a little guy or anything like that, but, um, it's like the main thing that I think about in terms of like how it changed, like how, how, how I should act and how I should why, behave. Why not just, um, why not just behave and stop thinking about how you should behave? Well, no, that's what, that's what's happening as of today with my tweet that you're absolutely right. That's my point of my tweet. Right. So that was a, that now, was I'm just, a... now I'm just normal without talking about it that was an indirect way of saying you need to be less uh philosophical about things and more just doing things and and you know resorting to action yeah and you know what else it is in in all honesty it's a it's about like i'm like an immature stupid self-obsessed like i'm i'm self-obsessed like it's just basic immature vanity is what i am it's like 
you know, uh, and most people are, but do I'm you, not blaming other people. Do you consider yourself? Do you cons- sorry, I'm going to have to keep intervening because you, you are kind of speaking a lot when you when you answer the questions, which is fine. Sorry, you know, sure. It gives I'll, me a lot of uh, keep it, things to think about and ask you questions. So, keep it short. But no, no, no. You, you can carry on, but I will carry on intervening if you know what I mean. You yeah. be you. And sure. I, will, I will do sure. what I'm, I'm already doing. Great. So my question to you is, so you've said that you are, um, are sort of self-obsessed um, and you think about yourself a lot. So... Do you think that you have a good, well, we're going to talk about looks and things like that in a bit, but just before physical appearance, let's talk about your personality. Do you, do you like your personality? And, and don't lie, like, that's fine. Like, if you want to say, yeah, I, I really do like myself, that's, that's great. But, you know, what is the honest response to this? Um, I would say, um, like, no, like I like in the past like five to ten years, like I don't like my personality. Like that's what I'm starting to realize is like as I get older, I'm just like I'm getting more. I'm becoming more Christian, and I'm becoming more like oh, are, are like, you just really embarrassed becoming more by... Christian? Or are you becoming more gay? Because I feel a lot of men are now becoming. <laughs> no, no, no. I genuinely think that homosexuality is really, really on the rise. <laughs> And I know that all uh, of these yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not, influences, they I'm, talk about how the Islamic world is like really good because they don't really have all of these problems. But no, no, it's 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 a pervasive thing that homosexuality is on the rise everywhere. Right. All right. No, so yeah, I'll that... answer your question. I'm, I'm not at all. Yeah, I'm not offended. I'm not offended by the, the question, but I'll answer very honestly and, and emphatically. Um, yeah. And I, 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 in my case, like I'm I'm not gay at all. I've never really had a gay bone in my body. I've like. I've like tried thinking about but like you naked men to see if it... I've been told that and many you, times. You How do you have... know that? How do you know that? Because I've watched you. I, I, I even said to you that uh, I, I am a subscriber stuff. to your uh, mailing list. Wait, I, I, think, can, I can. Yeah. I can. I can. Assure... I've cancelled all my thing, subscriptions. I, assure... and I, I, only, I... I only have you, you in my inbox now. Oh well, that's very kind. But I can assure I can assure you that I'm not gay because I periodically think about a naked man to see if it makes me horny and every time i've ever done this in my life it's never made me horny for a single second so that's how i know that i'm not gay but to, in all seriousness and I, I mean that i mean that was serious but um the, the larger point i wanted to make was just that like i'm mean to realize how my entire life up until now was obsessed with just like vanity and gaining power and influence and all of that shit is like honestly it's it's not that bad i think if you're a young man it's kind of like it's it can be fuel and you know, have have a chip on your shoulder and 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 to be driven by things like the desire for vanity and and money and power and getting chicks and stuff like that. I think I think it's like it's not none of those things are good. None of that is like ethical or or justified. But you can get away with it when you're young and like as long as you grow out of it, it's okay. But I'm 37 and it's like I haven't actually grown out of those things. And that's what I'm coming to. That's what I'm talking about here. Is like I want to. I, I'm I'm realizing this and I really do think this now and feel this that like just a lot of my motives and my actual kind of like pathetic self-obsessed like vain motives uh, like from youth are still dominant in my psyche and i hate them and i think it's actually stupid and wrong and i so i know i have not i don't like myself over the past like five to ten years because you know i i should have gotten those things out of my system but they're still in it and that's why i'm like I just want to be normal and I'm letting go all of that. And I'm like really trying yeah, to focus on Yeah, but do you, do you think that's, that. a, that's a cover story? It's a cover up for um, 
not getting the fame that maybe you thought you deserved because you obviously worked very hard you put like a hundred percent into your other life podcast your other life um emails that you send off um and i remember you know you were once sort of doing this indie thinkers thing and you renamed your stuff to other life and you know you've been you've been working really hard to pump out a lot of content and you know you're one of the few people who actually thinks quite critically still so you know you're trying to build a brand and you're still trying to be objective and things like that whereas most people um if they're in this game they're really obsessed with kind of having their almost like their own um branded worldview and and they they won't be able to see beyond that so do you think Mm -hmm. it's it's a bit of a kind of feeling of you didn't get to where you wanted is is do you think that is a resentment in not a resentment but a kind of factor that kind of depresses you yeah i know i think that's an interesting question that's that's a that's a very pointed um uh, question so it's good um i thought about that a whole lot you know because like one of the reasons why i like don't want to get to how, how, how do i put it like okay one of the reasons i've been clinging to my kind of useful vanity motivations um, is because they have gotten me quite far. They've energized me and, 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 and I've kind of fueled myself on those, those vain, useful motivations for my entire life. In fact, th- those are the, the only motivations I really know in, in a way. Um, and they've got me quite far and, and I've been quite successful. And when I think about, you know, really, really trying to conquer them all and put them, put them all behind me, because I do think that they're, they're bad and, and essentially fake and, and evil. I, one of the, I grapple with them as most of them. The reason why I clung to them longer than I should have is because what I tell myself is what you kind of implied in your question. That's exactly it. It's like, oh, Christianity and this kind of humility is actually just mm-hmm. like, co- it's cope for people who like are going to give up on life and give up trying. And so it's like, if you're scared of losing or you're scared of failing or you're scared of meeting your highest ambitions, oh, well, you could just adopt Christianity, be super humble, and you can turn your failure into a success. And of course, that's like the whole okay, Nietzschean. Well, the that's other, the whole Nietzschean. The that's the whole Nietzschean. Just to finish my yeah, thought okay, real quick. Lovely. Though. Uh, that's very Nietzschean. You can't finish your thought. I was just going to say another way to think about that is that, you know, humility, it's not necessarily a, a kind of strategy for people to not achieve what they really want in life a lot of celebrities use humility to push themselves even more you know they have to portray a very kind of humble persona to ultimately get what they want so and i'm not accusing them of necessarily even being fake i think they just do that and they find it to be a winning strategy for their careers i mean it's easy to be humble if you've got loads of money like i could do that easily I, i could if I was a millionaire right now and somebody told me you, you just need to be humble. Yeah, of course I'll, I'll be humble. Yeah. Well, look, I don't hey, know. What uh, the, maybe the answer is, I don't know. I, I don't know. Go ahead. That yeah, was just hi. another way of thinking about it, but and a cynical way of thinking about it. Luke. Yep. Go ahead. Yeah. Hi, uh, Justin, uh, Luke Ford. I was just uh, curious what role, what role does Christianity play in your life? Uh, practically. Well, I, just, I go to church every Sunday and I would say that it's just like um, in my own life, it it like I have found that like the farther I've gone into it, the more uh, like healthy it has made my mind and the better person it has made me like in my in my personal case. Like I just I feel that. Um, so for me, I'm just like 
continuing to kind of bet on it because it's it feels true to me and and how is your life different like how do you behave differently i assume perhaps a little more in a piece or talk to me more about how it practically demonstrates itself i'd love to know yeah sure i mean it's kind of what i was saying before with elizabeth like i spent most of my young adult life like really wanting to be like rich and famous and shit like that. And I mean, not, I wouldn't have never said that exactly. Um, But in retrospect, I can be, I see that like vain, really vain childish motivations were like dominant in my psyche um, and to some degree still are. And, And I'm, but now I'm starting to find it. I'm starting to find it actually ugly. Like I'm actually repulsed by myself sometimes um, in a real okay, way. Have you been stuff. to a therapist no. and do you still have a therapist? Hell no, I don't go to a therapist. So do you, do you, because you're talking about your psyche and things that are probably subconscious and these, these manners of um, these behaviors that, that were in you when you were younger and these worldviews, but now you've, you've changed, whatever. So the, no, the fact that you not changed, but you're aware of these things now. So a lot of people, they have to go through therapy to bring those things uh, to the surface, but you, you can, you kind of manage to do therapy for yourself. Do you, is that fair to say? Well, I don't know. If, I don't know if I give myself so much credit for that. I don't know. I mean, I think therapy is kind I mean, of, you see, like, you, fake, you're introspective honestly. enough. You know, I know, yeah, your therapy is fake, whatever. But what I'm saying is, okay, we don't have to call it therapy. We can just call it introspection. So do you think that you have the power of introspection? You don't need somebody else to help you get there? Well, I guess, maybe. But I think God has helped me, actually. Like, I mean, I don't know exactly what that means, but I do have a sense that something like that is true. Because I don't think you can do the, I don't think you really do these things for yourself. I think that's kind of like egotistical to say, like, Oh, I, I've like worked on myself in my own head on myself by myself. Like, I actually don't think that that really happens very often. Like usually, you know, we do sometimes get a help. We, we get help from like forces that we don't fully understand. And I, I, I don't like to kind of like speak about that more confidently than makes sense, you know, but it, it sure seems like something like that, um, you know, can happen. And well, uh, I'm going to I'm going to let Luke Ford ask you a few questions and I'm just going to sure. mute myself. So, Luke, okay. you are the interviewer for the, for the, for the next Thank three, you. three, four minutes. And then Thank you. We'll, Thank I'll you ask so you much. questions. Okay. Uh, Justin, did you have a conversion experience or was there something that made Christianity real to you? Um, no, I never really had some like big epic moment. Honestly, I was raised Catholic and then I kind of like left it after I was confirmed. Like many people, yes, for like, you know, from like 15 years old to 25 years old, probably. And then around when I was around 25, I started kind of drifting back to it. And it's just been kind of steadily increasing uh, since I was about like 25 and I'm 37 now. So it's like at this point, you know, uh, I'm starting to feel like it's just like more clear to me and more I feel more strongly about it. Now, I think most people should be able to get their primary meaning from their family, but then there are people who are addicted to thinking and theorizing, uh, perhaps like yourself, certainly I feel that the same way. So I cannot mm-hmm. just be content with just um, you know family, friends. I need to be with intellectuals or I need to be engaging with ideas. Uh, where do you primarily get your sense of meaning? Is it primarily from family? Or is it primarily from the pursuit of truth? Well, that's an interesting question because, um, you know, I, I do get a lot of meaning from my family for sure. It's, I would say it's like the, 
you know, the, the basic source of everyday life's, you know, meaning and purpose in, in a way. But if you look at like my life overall, um, my entire, like mo- my entire kind of driving force for my entire adult life has been like the pursuit of ideas. And, and I've given mu- I've given all of my adult life to, to study and to writing and, and publishing research in one way or another. I, that, that's all I've ever done. That's all I've ever been focused on. Um, but that's a really interesting dimension to analyze in this context, because like, this is one of the big epiphanies I've had in recent years is that like, um, you can pursue, you can love ideas and books and writing and speaking and publishing and and these like very bookish intellectual things. And your motivation at the, at the bottom of all of it can be nothing more than, you know, money, power and status. And when I look back on myself, I have to be like really honest that like the the overriding motivation for my life has been to like you know uh gain education and uh you know a command of ideas um because of the power that it represents it's been it's been a pursuit of power like um i come from a working class family so i knew that i always like needed to get a real job that that paid paid real money like i have no safety net i knew from the time i was like 15 years old like holy fuck, I got to fucking figure something out where I can actually have real status and money and power because I don't want to be a fucking loser and like fall back to this like white trash family that I like am and will always be like, that's a part of me. Uh, but I didn't want to so fall are you back close to that. With your... Sorry, sorry to Yeah, intervene, I know I'm Luke, kind but, of um, blabbing. Yeah. No, not, I, I'm not sorry to intervene when it comes to you. I, I mean, Luke, because I was giving him the interviewer sort of role here. But I have a question uh, about the white trash family. Is, is, so, when Luke asked you, are you, you know, do you find joy in, you know, being with your family? I think you were answering with your current family in mind, like your wife and your child, right? Or did were you thinking about your parents? Well, yeah, I guess I was thinking about my, my wife and my child. I love my parents and I have a good also, family, but yeah. So do you think that your parents are white trash though? I would say that I'm white trash. I would say that I, I that, that's who I am. That's what I come from. That's what, yeah, sure. I don't mean it in a bad way. But it is what it is. No, I know, but the, but you're saying sure, but then you're you're kind of correcting yourself. Well, because it does it does no, sound a little. You it, it's are not, white I'm, trash, I'm, but not I'm qualifying because it sounds a little harsh, so that's why I'm qualifying. But yes. Yeah, but which one is it? If you if you had to answer in a brute sort of way, which one is it? You are white trash, or your parents are white trash? Why would that be either or? Both can be true. Yeah, that's fine. That's that, all I wanted to know. Luke, carry on. Yeah, thank you. Um, Justin, uh, I would contend that you cannot be normal because you get so much joy out of abstract thought that uh, any experiences you have with normality will be fleeting. What do you think? Maybe, but I don't know. In a way, this is like why I like this challenge. I mean, it's like a challenge. I feel like being normal is uh, good. Like, I I think, I don't know. I, I mean, Okay, so you're kind of setting up this like, premise that like, you know, if you're into ideas and you read books and you're smart, you're like kind of special and above all the normies. But I actually, I'm not sure that I think that anymore. Like, in a, like I said, the overwhelming majority of people who study great books and think highfalutin ideas are the majority, not all, but the majority of them are doing it for very pedestrian, generic, vain, and therefore ultimately quite you know, mundane and quotidian purposes and motivations. In other words, you know, for a lot of people, the world of having fancy ideas is literally just another job in the commercial marketplace. And it's actually very generic and it's actually no better 
or more impressive than, you know, someone who works uh, like in any kind of like, you know, marketplace. Right. And so um, I don't know. I'm just in a stage right now where I'm feeling like uh, to just have you listened to to the Luke Ford podcast. I have not. I feel like I've encountered his work somewhere, but I don't know. Not podcast, but streams. I think I've encountered it before, but I can't say I'm familiar. So one thing I often say on my show is that one should get one's meaning in life from one's family, extended family and and community. And yet there is this tiny percentage of the population that is so ecstatic from abstract thinking. And by no means that I place them above anyone else. It's just a quirk of, of personality. So I, I've been talking on my show that you should get your sense of morality and meaning and purpose in life from family and extended family. But then when I talk to people, they come back at me and say, Luke, when I'm talking to my family and extended family, after an hour or two, I just go crazy and I want to get back to books. And I thought, oh, yeah, I'm kind of the same way. I need to spend time with books every day. I can't meet my normal needs the normal way. I need abstract ideas and the, the pursuit of abstract truth and so it's it's not a thing that by any means i think puts us above anyone else i just think it's facing the reality of our nature that we cannot be normal due to a quirk in our physiology i think that's totally fair and and correct for for many people and and totally fine by the way i think that's absolutely fine um I'm just adding, you know, a little bit of a wrinkle that maybe uh, some people don't like to talk about, which is just that in many cases that that desire for the books is a kind of disavowal. It can be a kind of selfish disavowal and a kind of vanity relative to the family. And, I, and I'm just admit I'm not judging anyone else. I'm admitting to that psyche, to that, to that dynamic being in my own psyche, like I am white trash. You know, it's, it's like who I am. I come I come from a certain family. And I spent my entire life. Are you like Mike Cernovich? You're closer to Mike Cernovich than uh, a Curtis Yarvin then. I don't know Mike Cernovich well, but I can speak for myself and just saying that like for me, pursuing books and being all fancy and erudite and highly educated and having highfalutin ideas was for me, it was like my ticket to get away from my poor family and to show the world that I was better than my poor family. And so I'm I'm now starting to realize that actually you know, there's something messed up there. And I have to, like, you know, rectify some of that, because that's actually not good. Aren't we all driven by delusions, delusions of of grandeur? We're all the central character, the the hero in our own story. So those delusions that you're talking about, everyone's got them, they're just different. For some people, it's the delusion that they'll be on stage, you know, as a rock star, or the delusion that they'll be, you know, this fantastic mother. I mean, aren't we all driven by delusions, Justin? I mean, aren't you completely normal in that sense that we're all driven by delusions? Yeah, maybe that's the case. But and 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 within within a certain constraint, yeah, there's nothing wrong with having you know delusional dreams or aspirations. But I don't know. I I I don't I don't want to sound like I'm special or anything like that. But I I, I feel like personally in my case. I have always really, truly wanted like the truth. Like I want to be real with myself and other people. And I don't, you know, um, there's nothing wrong with having, you know, great aspirations. Um, but I don't know. I, I try to like seek, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't want to cling to fantasies that are vain and 
um, childish any longer than I need to. I think in your youth, you know, certain delusions of grandeur can be mobilizing and energizing. Um, but as you get older, if you cling to them, it can be a really ugly um, look. Well, but aren't there adaptive delusions and maladaptive delusions? Sure. Yeah, that's true. Right. Uh, how do you deal with the brutal reality that intellectual labor almost never pays for itself, that it has to be subsidized? Uh, how do you deal with that? Well, I mean, not to toot my own horn, but that's one thing I've actually figured out pretty well. And I'm pretty proud of like I've, I've actually built a little business where, you know, I'm uh, I make it I make a decent income uh, and, and I do primarily intellectual labor. I still have to hustle a lot and where, you know, I still have to like run a business and do all the logistics and stuff required of that, which is not trivial. But um, but, you know, I am essentially reading and writing um, and teaching full time out independently outside of institutions. And I'm I'm not rich by any means, but, you know, make like, you know, more than, you know, with six figures, like within six figures, let's say low six figures. Like I'm not rich by any means, but I, I mean, I live in a nice big city and I have a small family and I'm paying the bills. So, um yeah, I think the, I think the future of this stuff is is very bright and it's still very early. But how do you balance between making a living and actually pursuing truth? Because the type of content that people want is usually BS. For example, if you were to do a yeah. show on the case for aliens or, you know, why vaccines are bad or why the earth is flat, you'll get an enormous audience. But if you actually pursue the truth and say, you know, the evidence is overwhelming that we have no evidence of aliens, uh, you'll get a very small audience. So how do you balance the pursuit of an audience and an income with a, a, a pursuit of truth that has integrity? Well, what I, ha what I have found is that you, I think, can actually get away with if you just speak the truth and you just work humbly on what is real to the best of your ability, you can actually build enough of an audience around simply that. And if you monetize it correctly and you can build a business around that, um, th that is, you know, what, what I, what I believe I've, I've done for myself. I mean, maybe sometimes I, uh, you know, can get a little carried away with, you know, provoking people or whatever to, to have a viral tweet here or there or whatever. I have a pension for that. I understand, but I haven't, my, my business model is not built on that. Like I, I ever, I'm not that famous at all. Like I'm quite small. I'm quite, I have quite a modest, humble operation and I'm not like really a member of any tribe. I'm not like, you know, um, throwing red meat to any particular community on a daily basis. Uh, I'm, you know, and like I figured it out. So I think if I can figure it out, many others can as well. Yeah. But on the incentives overwhelmingly, you've got to provide something that the establishment and mainstream institutions do not provide. Therefore mm -hmm. your incentives, I would assume are overwhelmingly to be anti-establishment, to be critical of the, the New York times, the mainstream media, you know, the world of the Academy, uh, major institutions, because you have to continually provide an anti-establishment uh, message because that's where your audience is. If you were to say that the establishment is usually right and that the Mavericks are usually wrong, you would lose your audience. Is that fair? No, I understand perfectly what, what you're talking about. I mean, trust me, I, I thought about this every every way to Sunday for the past many years. Like, I definitely take your point and, and you're right to a degree. But what I'm saying is you can simply choose to not go too far off those deep ends and you, you can just actually cultivate um, a balanced, genuine truth seeking orientation, not throw red meat in those directions that you're alluding to 
And you're just not going to be as big as you would be otherwise. You, you, but you can choose to be, you know, um, just big enough to pay the bills. And I, like, that's kind of how I see my own position. Um, like I could, I could lean more into the culture wars. I could be like one of these like certain types of characters and optimize for more viral stuff. But like, I honestly, the truth is like, I probably would if I could, but I don't have it in me. Like I just, it's not who I am. I've never really been able to like fake it effectively hardcore for long enough. So like, um, you can oh, just can choose. Can I ask you a question regarding some? Sure. Uh, so this is regarding some uh, celebrity sort of intellectuals or people who are in that kind of circuit that you are in. Um, so were you hurt by when the Red Red Scare uh, duo they sort of mocked you a little bit in their in one of their podcasts? Oh yeah, I someone sent that to me. No, no, I no, I wasn't hurt at all. Of course not. I mean, they're it's like it's like a comedy podcast. I don't. It's fine. <laughs> But how do you how do you balance the the need for connections with say powerful people who can advance your career and your income with your desire to tell the truth? So generally speaking, people who do what you do are really good at networking, but that comes at the price of uh, saying the truth. How do you balance those? Well, that's what I'm getting at. I've never been good at networking. I've never cared for it, and I'm and I'm not and I'm not good at it. So I don't like I have very few, I I have almost no powerful relationships like um for whatever reason I, I and and I I make it I make it you know like I'm making it so it's really just not about that I mean I have some I have some like collaborator collaborator relationships um and some friendships for sure but um I have like like I've gained nothing from any more powerful person pretty much ever like uh, obviously some people like you know, um, so did you we'll not gain anything from yeah. Curtis Yarvin because you hosted no. uh, an event with him? Yeah, I've and never he was received... so underwhelming. You were excellent in that. In that, thank you. I've never, way, but he was so. I, I know this is like a such a popular thing people love to talk about, but like I've never received a, anything from anyone. Like I have people who pay for my products and courses, and I have some paying subscribers. And like, yeah, some, some of the, a small number of the people who follow me, uh, like are famous or like whatever, but, um, I don't receive like any, like, I've never received any big grant from Peter Thiel. I've never received anything from anyone. Like, and that's one of the reasons why I have such a chip on my, why I have such a chip on my shoulder. Like I'm a fucking self-made man. Like you can call me whatever the fuck you want and people can make fun of me about whatever the fuck they want. But like, I've never received a fucking like anything from anyone every single thing i have in my life i i've built it and i've worked for it and people pay me for the value that i give them for something and uh yeah so i'm you know i'm i'm not i'm not perfect but i'm i'm a free man and i have no dependencies and uh yeah that's that's all who's your favorite um podcast guest the podcast or the other life podcast just to let on my podcast yeah who's your who's your who's been your favorite guest thus far um nick land is the goat i think he's the goat okay uh luke do you want to carry on yeah uh have you experienced audience capture and could you describe what that's like no i mean i'm not that again i'm not that big i'm not like i'm not i'm not big enough to be captured by my audience like i'm a middling like barely scraping by small business owner who has like you know a very humble like moderate following on like three platforms I, i've never got big on any one platform i'm not you know so it's like um and i don't even like and my audience that i have it's not like it was built on some like 
particularly tribal thing. Like I could not be audience captured because I, frankly, I don't even know what the fuck my audience like wants from me or thinks about me. Like I'm so, I I've been so eclectic and kind of, I'm, I'm so like bad at the, this like game of like giving your audience what it wants. I'm so bad at that. that I don't even know what they want. People follow me well, for a bunch of different you, reasons. You treat your project like a, it's, it's an independence project for you. It's, it's you being you. So and you know what? Thank you for yeah. asking yourself. If you're going to keep asking yourself the question, well, what do the people who are listening or what do my audience think? Then you won't be able to actually produce the content that you do. It's a bad question for you to ask, actually. But I appreciate that, Elizabeth. And I, I like you know. I, I think that's I think that's absolutely right. Like I I'm not saying I'm better than anyone at all. In fact, in many ways, I'm worse than people because, like I said, I'm like. I'm not super successful, like as a quote unquote creator or like an influencer or whatever the fuck you want to call me in this game. Insofar as this is like a legible industrialized, like commercial game, I'm not Eller at all. I'm, I'm not like winning that game. I'm like barely scraping by. But as Elizabeth says, like I'm doing, I like to think I'm doing something very different. For me, this is about all I've ever been optimizing is for like my own freedom and, you know, leisure and, uh, and like, I'm I'm winning just enough to pay the bills basically and I'm I'm happy with that. Have you experienced the the e-personality? Have you experienced a different self as you've, you know, emerged online and had, you know, your more than your share of success? I experienced like has my personality changed or what do you mean? Have you experienced the e-personality? You go online, you're a different person. Everyone is more spontaneous when they go online. They will share darker things and they would share face to face. You well, inevitably get a sense that you're more knowledgeable and wiser. And uh, I mean, all sorts mm -hmm. of things happen to people when they go online and create an Internet uh, identity. Well, before Justin answers that, I think it would be just interesting for me to offer my uh, analysis here. I've noticed that Justin is very different uh, when he sort of comes into spaces or his kind of online personality. Uh, but his his writing voice is different to his to his speaking voice and his tweeting voice if that makes sense um so even though the writing is still an extension of his e-personality i think that it's even segmented within that e-personality so I, I don't know if that helps or but justin yeah. go ahead yeah maybe i mean the, the, yeah the short answer to your question because yeah, like I'm not a, I'm not better than than anyone on that. I, I do think the e personality phenomenon is is real. In my case, like when I left academia four years ago, I basically had this mission of like, okay, I need to figure out how to like get just big enough to like build a big enough audience that I can like pay the bills by doing courses and teaching, you know, the stuff that I study and all that. Um, so like when I left academia, I was pretty like honest, I think, with myself and other people. Like I was kind of just like throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what would stick and what would you know, I, I've tried on, I fuck around. Like I just say whatever I want. And I, I like tried on many different voices in, in the past. I've tried on many different formats and content and different platforms. And like, I just spent the past four years basically playing jazz and throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what would work, to see, to try to find my place, to try to find my voice in a way that would like win on the internet, at least just enough to like, you know, build, build a viable business operation. Um, but now after doing that for like four years, um, the mood that I'm in now that I guess we're talking about is kind of the, the subtext of the conversation tonight is like, I'm looking back on those four years and I'm just like, yeah, a ton of it like was totally fake and confused and idiotic. Cause I was just like 
experimenting, trying to find my way. And I was still young and I still had this like very kind of like vain piss and vinegar that I was fueled by. And, and that's fine for what it was, but like, I don't want to run on that forever. And, and at a certain point you have to kind of like accept who you are and decide who you want to be and let the chips fall where they may. Yeah. So wouldn't, wouldn't the most normal thing for you to do now wouldn't, wouldn't be to return to academia? <laughs> no, that, that bridge is, is totally uh, gone. I mean, and I would, I wouldn't, I would never countenance the idea. Uh, Justin, you said you went online and said anything you wanted, but th there's no way that's true because 99 people out of 100 who did that would absolutely destroy their lives, destroy their relationships. They'd be isolated and broke. Um, it would wreck them. So you must have internalized a great deal of discipline that, that for you going online and saying what you want, um, that's, that you, I think you're phrasing something that, that can no way be true because anyone who does that is going to absolutely destroy their life. So how did you go online, express yourself with great freedom, and yet keep yourself from destroying yourself and the people who are most precious to you? Oh, and, and what's an example of this free expression that you, you are talking about? What's an example of utilizing a kind of extreme version of free speech? Well... I, look, I'm not. I'm not like you know, claiming I'm I'm fancy or anything. Like I, I mean, you call you can call me oh, whatever you, you want. Oh, you keep offering this disclaimer that oh no, I'm not a show off. I'm I'm very humble and I'm not better than everybody else. We we don't need to hear the disclaimer. Just just answer directly. Well, no, but I, yeah, yeah, it's not a disclaimer. It's more clarifying that you know, um, you can call this stuff whatever you want. Like I I'm not I'm not invested in a particular description. But I would say that like, um. I have like for the past like five or six years, I've kind of like, pra well, no, I, what am I saying? Like for my entire adult li life, since I was like 18, I've, I've kind of just practiced like what in my own mind I saw as a kind of like anarchistic cultural, you know, philosophy, like where I, 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 I mean, I have in fact generally tried to say things in public that most people are not comfortable saying with a certain kind like of recklessness. What? Well, I mean, the reason why I, I I almost got kicked, kicked out of academia because I would like use foul language, even though I was like a professor. So like, that's just, again, I'm not saying it's impressive, but it's just, it's an example. Like most professors do not, most professors were not using the word retard casually in like 2016. Uh, that was like incredibly uncommon. And that's like what Luke's saying in 2016, if you're a professor and you're using the word retard on Twitter, that's like incredibly reckless uh like damaging to your family and and networks and stuff so has and like this, that that was like part for the has course this then be, like who has this other life has this other life uh platform then actually been a kind of reputation management exercise for you i don't know i don't, I don't know you'd have to you'd have to make that you'd have to say more i don't i don't know i mean all i've all i've ever really been guided by is uh, this concept of parisia there's this you know kind of tradition goes back to diogenes jesus christ was a representative of it but also rousseau and you know in a way people like nietzsche were, were all kind of in in this subterranean tradition known as parisia where like you know you every in all times and places you need some people who basically just try to say what seems to be real but in a way that's like a little bit more provocative than is allowed and they have to get punished for it and they have to like pay the price and I'm, I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying that I'm some sort of like, you know, uh, oppressed genius or something like that. Nothing, nothing so, so fancy. It's, it's, it's actually a humble, it's a fairly humble tradition, but that's how I've always yeah, seen but it. It's like, 
how did you avoid blowing up your life? Everybody hates people. Like every normal person has negative feelings about all sorts of groups. And mm -hmm. if they express those feelings publicly, it would destroy them and would hurt their family and friends and community. How did you avoid saying the things that will destroy you online? You said you spoke very freely, but even Justin Murphy experiences hatred of groups. How did you avoid expressing hatred of groups online? Well, I guess I don't really hate groups. So maybe that's why I didn't hate express it. I, I, don't, I don't really feel hatred for, for like particular groups. Maybe that's, I'm just lucky in that regard. I don't know. But I mean, one, a more positive answer to your question is that um, like you can, if you just lean into it hard enough, you can build a brand around it. And that's kind of what I did. I think over the past like few years is like, you know, I, I realized that I was like, I have this tendency to say stuff that gets me in trouble. So I just decided to lean into that and like bet my whole life and career on it. Like that's what I did. And, and most people aren't willing to make that gamble, I think. And that's, that's why it doesn't work. So it's like, this kind of thing only works if you're really willing to go all in on it. And I, to my credit, I did do that. Well, what about group differences? It's like the most obvious truth in the world that you can't say publicly. That say, for example, the gifts of Ashkenazi Jews are not identical to the gifts of people in West Africa. And but you can say it publicly. Of... You can say it publicly. Like you, you can. I, I, I have no problem saying that. And, and many people have no problem saying that nowadays. Like. Back in back, you know, back when I left academia, it was like much more spicy to say that. Now it's now it's much less spicy to say that. Um, so my point is like, sure, there are all these like truth statements that are generally prohibited. And if you say them, you will get fired and you will you know, be seen as a pariah in certain circles. Um, but what I'm telling you, I mean, to answer your question, is that there is this other pathway which is reproducible and it does work. It is demonstrably an option uh, and it is demonstrable throughout history. It's not easy though. It's, it's hard and it's difficult. Not most, most people do not have the heart for it. Um, but there is this option, um, which is you just choose to say whatever you want. And if you're willing to go all in on it, you can get away with it and you can build a brand around it and you can make that your life. Well, here's one example of how I've seen people self-destruct, including professors online. They, they go online, they get a taste for giving their opinions and soon they're starting to make proclamations about books and articles that they haven't even read because they've mm -hmm. become so confident of their own uh, wisdom and clarity. Uh, mm -hmm. I assume you've avoided that pitfall. And if so, how did you do it? Well, as I was saying before, in the past four years, like when I was like scrambling to, you know, build a business operation that could sustain a small family, like uh, after leaving academia, I'm not above anything. Like I tried everything in the book. So I, I made every mistake there was. And um, I'm certainly guilty, I'm sure, of some at some point of, you know, uh, fakely projecting knowledge I didn't have or, you know, speaking confidently about something that was actually a little rushed. And, you know, may, maybe I didn't have I didn't have the, the knowledge to back it up. I'm, I'm sure that I in the past four years, I made every mistake in the book for the reasons that I was going over, you know, like I, I've, it's been very chaotic few years. And I've had to really, you know, scramble and hustle hard and, and try a lot of things. So that's one answer is that like, I'm probably, I've been guilty of that at times as well. I'm probably no better than, than anyone. Um, but I do like to think that now I'm, you know, taking stock and uh, as I take stock, like that's the kind of shit that, um, you know, I think the, the way you avoid doing that is by like being reflective and, you know, making sure that you're not like, you have to just choose um, 
like you would rather be an honest, high integrity person who's like aligned with God. You would rather that than like have more followers or have more money like that. Like that is and that is why Christianity is so real to me is because what it really comes down to is like everyone has to choose. Do you want to optimize for money and power here on Earth or do you want to optimize for being a deeply, genuinely true person? Like you really do have to choose. And at the end of the day, there are no excuses. There are no life hacks. There are no lessons. There are no, you know, tips and tricks about how to balance this and that and how to, how to make a million dollars, but also be a perfectly true person. Like it really just comes down to the choice of like, which do you value more? You have to choose. Do you love God or do you love money? You, you cannot avoid that choice. Um, that's like one of the most radical things that I, I've taken from, Kind of the Christian philosophy that I just increasingly see as as absolutely um, profound and correct and unavoidable. And you know, because I come from a working class family, like a lot of my life, my most of my adult life, I have actually been obsessed with money and power. And I justified that because I was like running away from something, which it's like legitimate to run away from. But now, like, I have a little bit of money. I have a, a decent audience. I'm not famous fucking at all. I'm like still very small in like all ways. But I have a little bit of money. I have a little bit of an audience. I have just enough to like pay the bills. And, you know, I'm 37 years old. So now is the time that I have to choose being truly, truly good and correct um, and truthful in all things. Uh, and the money will just have to figure itself out. Okay, well, can and I how... try and answer? Wait, 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 can I try and answer Luke Ford's question? Of how have you managed to um, balance uh, being very out there and saying what you want? with not really getting into trouble and obviously you got in trouble in the beginning when you know when you were a, an academic at a uk university uh, but after that you've just been kind of flourishing um so i think the reason really is that you do have pretty privilege you are handsome if if you were ugly then no one would care about your free speech takes well, that's very kind of you, but I haven't updated my picture in a while. I've aged a bit. I should probably my my yeah, profile picture is, is now like, old. You can just I don't, I don't care that somebody has to look like a flipping Greek god or something uh, and look twenty years old for the rest of their life. But you know, you have a good face. You're handsome. If you if you went to the gym every day and you got really sort of bulky, you you would look so hot. I genuinely think this. Well, thank you. That's very kind. But my point is just that, you know, looks don't stay either, right? Like you can't bank on that either because those decay, right? So the, I appreciate it. It's very kind of you, but it's just not something that you can build your lifestyle on. Like you can't trust that for very long, you know? I'm not saying that you should build your lifestyle on it. It's it's something that's obviously not obvious to you, but it's it's obvious to me that your looks have played a role in your, uh, in, in your, in your ability to say what you want. And, and get away with know. it. I mean, in general, in general, sure. The better you look, the more you can get away with things like that. There's truth to that for sure. Um, and plus, so that- and it's not just about being good looking. It's also you've got a quite a nice, kind face. So if you if you looked very sort of intimidating, or if you look like you know you're not approachable, or if you just look like a bit of a rat with like wonky features and stuff like that, then no one would take you seriously, and people people wouldn't then trust you. Yeah, maybe. Um, I mean, you, you, you've you admitted to taking drugs in this in this space and you probably admitted it many times in other in other sort of on other platforms as well. But 
like the fact that you can even get away with taking drugs is, is because you look like a nice person. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> but uh, drugs are normal. Now. Uh, Everyone uh, does drugs. Uh, Justin, uh, one more uh, question that common way that people self-destruct online is to get into feuds. So have you had to battle with yourself to avoid getting into feuds? Have you found yourself falling into feuds? How have you handled the whole feuding thing? Um, again, I've made every mistake in the book. And in the past four or five years, I feel like, you know, I, I'm just been, I've always been like a pretty crazy guy. I just kind of say whatever I want. And like, that's, that's another, like, that's another example. Like I have had feuds actually. I've had, I've had actual feuds. Like I threatened No Smith. I no, I, I challenged Noah Smith to a boxing match a few weeks ago, like in all seriousness. Um, and it's like, yeah, sure, whatever. So you funny, are also uh, influenced by Andrew Tate. Is that what's going on? Well, yeah, God knows we're all influenced by who knows what, right? And, and that's kind of what I'm, but that's what no, I'm getting not, at. No, it's, like, it's always obscure with you. You just have, you never answer explicitly. Are you or are you not feeling a bit influenced by Andrew Tate? I, 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 don't, I don't think that I am. If No, if anything, I think I... Honestly, if I'm influenced by Andrew Tate, it's I look at someone like Andrew Tate, and this I is realize... amazing. Uh, Justin is is uh, threatening people with boxing matches, and um, and yet he is still oblivious to the fact that you know it's probably Andrew Tate who's influenced him to do this. I mean, th- this is Andrew Tate well, is therefore a genius sort of marketeer if you think about it, because oh, well, all the people yeah. following him now. Don't well, I have no problem. Get... I have absolutely no. Yeah, yeah, well, I have absolutely no problem. I mean, problem even that. even That's Elon true. Musk is now influenced by him. No, the, he's a sensation. The, the, the influence is that. What I will, I'll give you that for sure. He's a sensation without a doubt. Um, but I know. I, I, I mean, my case, like, if anything, I him, if he's influenced he's realized like I am not made for that game. <laughs> like I am just not made for that game, and that's like. You know, I'm trying. I'm now trying as, as I age. I'm trying to find. I, I my think place you are because you're saying this. that you are from a. You you're saying that you are from a sort of working class background, and so you know now is the time for you to adopt this Tatian manner of thinking, to to work out to to be this alpha male sort of character. Do you know what it is? It, it, look look, characters and things like that can be fluid, right? Like we can be different people at different points in 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 our in our lifetime. However, in general. Um, I, I do feel that you fit more of the character profile of, you know, somebody who's who is a bit of an anti-intellectual, and yet you've you've taken on this more intellectual persona. You've you've th- this is your cover now. Like you have to now always behave this way, even though at at your core you're more of a sort of alpha male. I feel well, this, and you've kind of admitted to this, and you even said that you used uh, academia and learning about philosophy and things like that as a kind of ticket to to wealth, because you know otherwise you would have been stuck in 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 your kind of parents' uh, town, suburb, or whatever, and and this has been your ticket out of it. But now, now that you've made money, maybe you could return to your roots. That's kind of what's going on here. Yeah, I think that's perceptive. I appreciate that. In uh, fact, you, you should wait, wait. You should have a look at my uh, cover photo um, on, on Twitter. This this particular account, Gazelle Spaces. It's a T.S. Eliot quote, which is that we shall not cease from exploration, exploration, and uh, at the end of all our exploring, 
we will arrive to where we started and know the place for the very first time. Yeah. And so you know what? It's I want, a circle, a full circle. I think, I think that's great. And, you know, something I want to say to Luke while, while he's here and, and the, the, there's like a bunch of people online right now who I am I'm starting to admire more, who um, I find them online where like people who don't have a massive audience, they're not that famous. They're not that big, but they're doing really meaningful work and they're doing it consistently and doing it over, over a long span of time. And they have an engaged audience. And in some cases they have a small, you know, business operation around it that, that, that makes a decent amount of money. But like when I come upon people who are just doing really meaningful, authentic work and they're like doing decently well with the numbers and the metrics and, and, and the money and stuff like that, but they're not famous. I've never heard of them. And they're not really like on track to be like super or famous. Now, like when I, see, I, I I notice that more, and I admire it more, and because for the past few years, I I probably will kind of like, you know, a bit, um, I don't know, like corny and and aspirational in my in my thinking and my mental models, like wanting to be big and wanting to make more money, all that kind of stuff. And now I like actually see that um, people who are just doing like really honest, interesting, original work. Um, and are not like chasing all that just seem like genuinely more admirable well, I've, and, got a, I've got a question know. for you Some, someone's dm'd me um a question which is that um how do you see yourself um in the sort of QAnon sphere uh, is there a crossover <laughs> I, I, no i don't think so is that is that even like still an active like subculture I, i'm not sure but i got this question and he'd like you to sort of answer it I mean, I thought okay, QAnon was pretty fascinating. Yeah. I thought it was fascinating. Like, I thought I thought it was pretty fascinating and powerful. And I do like the, I do kind of am attracted to the, um, like mass. Cons- what I liked about QAnon was that it, it was you know whatever one might say about it, it was essentially like a, a a knowledge project. It was a decentralized like knowledge puzzle machine, and that's what I think was kind of underrated about it. It was like a it was a group search process. It was a group intelligence process um, led by these drops that kind of guided the hive mind to go find things and then report back and synthesize it. Um, and it was a pretty interesting and compelling uh, example of, of what that can look like in a really wild decentralized way. Um, so I did admire that about QAnon and, and uh, you know, I'm kind of inspired by that element of it. Okay, and- Luke, go ahead. Yeah, I just got a question. Uh, to what extent, as someone who's producing content on a, a regular basis, do you feel like you're monetizing your soul? And if that resonates with you at all, what is that experience like? How do you maneuver with it? Um, yeah, no, I don't I don't have the experience of someone monetizing their soul. Um, that's not my experience. And if anything, you know, for me, it's more like, over the past few years, like, I feel like the, the theme of tonight's discussion, like this tweet that's pinned at the top of it or whatever that I wrote today is like, in the past few years, I, I am, I, I do think like I am kind of currently going through a, a transition or a turning point uh, where I do look back on my, on my kind of experiments over the past few years. And I do realize that like, um, I was a little too wrapped up in things. And I, 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 I was allowing my soul to be a little too much a function of, you know, the, the, the media and the internet game and the metrics and, and all, and all of that. Uh, I did kind of like outsource a little bit too much of my soul. I was, I was, um, insufficiently grounded and, uh, attentive 
to the matters, to the true matters of the soul. I was inattentive to those things. And I, I was obsessed with, you know, the internet game and, and the metrics and the, and the business systems and stuff like that. Um, Were you in particular very fixated on free speech and academia? And is, is, was that your sort of baby, if you, if you want to call it that? Like as a theme or a topic? Yeah, yeah. Because um, you maybe I, connect into academia and you're maybe. you call yourself a free speech absolutist. And you, the other life, what that really means is that you are trying to be a sort of intellectual or an academic minded person without the university, without, you know, institutional backing. So do, are you yeah. fixated with free speech and academia? Would you say yes or, or no? Well, it's, it's a perfectly reasonable question. I think in my case, to, to, to be frank, I, I never actually had a problem with that because I think I was always I was always very sensitive to that being like a very likely uh, failure mode. And in fact, uh, you know, when I first left academia and it was like in the news and stuff like that, it was like controversies and stuff. I had I had a very obvious opportunity to play that up. This is like the same time as like the Brett Weinstein stuff was kicking off. It was around the same time as me when Brett Weinstein first got famous. It was similar. It was a very similar time, very close in time to when I was having my like dust ups with academia. Um, so it, there was a very clear playbook on the table that I could have opted into if I wanted to. And I chose, you know, very explicitly in my mind, I don't want to do that. Like I, I you know, I could have, I well, could you, have made do you myself think, do you think, across the lip. Do you think, yeah. Do you think the clamping down of uh, free speech in academia, it's exaggerated? Well, I think it just doesn't matter anymore now because all the, all the intellectual talent is just going to exit and already is, and it's just going to continue. I, I think so. It's just a, it's a, it's a moot point now. So some good advice that I heard for people who speak on podcasts and live streams is you should always think of five people when you speak publicly. Think of your mother, think of your biggest enemy, think of your best friend, uh, think of your, think of a lawyer and think of your boss. Um, are there certain people that you keep in mind when you're speaking publicly, Justin? Ooh, I, that's an interesting question. I strongly disagree with what you just said. That's way too many people. Who can, who, who, who on earth can be accountable to all of those different individuals? If you, if you ran all of your public statements through that tribunal of six different people, not only would it take forever, but you would always find someone who could, among those six people, who would veto anything you could say. I would say it's much simpler and more efficient and more radical uh, to only, only review your thoughts from the perspective of one one entity and that's god and, and that's kind of the genius of of god in my opinion is you know if i type out a tweet or i try type out an essay and it feels a little spicy or it feels a little you know some people might not like this or whatever i just think to myself you know would god approve or it or another another way to like phrase that though and it's saying the same exact thing is just simply to ask yourself is this really true do i really believe that this statement in this way to in in describing it this exact way do i believe that this is really true uh, I think as long that's all you have to ask yourself. And if you really ask yourself that and you answer it, you answer it honestly, it's the same exact thing as holding yourself to to what God would think and um, and everything else, you know, follows from there. You don't have to think about all those different people, in, in my view. And how do you balance the desire to tell the truth with your desire to have friends, have community, have a prosperous and pleasant life? <sighs> I don't know, Luke, I think a lot of your questions kind of feel to me like you have this kind of mental model where, you know, like, if you're speaking the truth, it's going to be constantly making you a pariah among 
all these other people. But I think that's not necessarily true. I think if you have this kind of mental model, like I did this earlier today, actually, like I tweeted, like you should never think of yourself as a dissident. Because as soon as you start thinking of yourself as a dissident, then you start convincing yourself that the things you think are good and true are in fact like secretly bad, you know, and you have these anxieties and you have these like, um, you know, insecurities. I'm not, I'm not saying anything critical about you, Luke, but I'm saying in, in general, like this is a bad mental phenomenon that, that I think is very common and that I've tried very hard to avoid. And, and again, you know, I'm not, I'm not perfect at many things, but this is maybe one thing I feel I have been. It is is actually bad or 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 like i'm so i'm so like out of touch i've like i've sailed so far from like the institutional center that i literally don't even know what is normal anymore like i don't know what is good to think i don't know what's wrong thing and what's good thing i don't know what's allowed anymore all i know is like i i just only say what 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 i think is real and um i don't know maybe well, I'm, do I'm you like think a, do, do you think elon musk uh is is um, has has a coherent worldview. Uh, I think it's coherent enough. I mean, I don't think he's. I, I admire the How man, but I don't. Elon he's Musk's... not a very philosophically sophisticated guy. I admire him, but he's he's evidently not a very philosophically right, sophisticated does... guy. Is oh, Justin, haven't you lost a friend? Ha- oh, wait, Justin, haven't you lost wait, a friend wait, wait, wait. from things you said publicly? And didn't that sting? And I mean, you act like this is nothing. You just tell the truth if you're good with God, but surely you've had the experience of losing friends and surely that uh, was very painful. Well, sometimes you have an experience where you think you're losing a friend, but the, the truth is you, you never lose a real friend. You, you only lose fake friends. And most people have a lot of fake friends. I mean, I've, ta- I've written about this also, like, you know, an adult man really does not need more than like two or three real friends. Uh, you know, everyone today convinces themselves that they have like, 10 friends, 20 friends, 30 friends, 40 friends, most of those people in almost every case would drop you like a fly if it was even slightly inconvenient for them. And sure, I've had many situations in my life where people that I thought were friends, like, you know, were, you know, clutching their pearls at something that I said, and, uh, you know, they kind of disavowed me or whatever. I've had that many times, but I, I, I take, I believe very genuinely uh, that, like those just were never friends. And maybe that's a little sad to learn that someone you thought was a friend never in fact was. But once you realize that, then you didn't really lose anything. And I've always had a few friends. And I think, you know, as an adult man, like if you, if you have two or three really good friends, you consider yourself lucky and, and, and that's all you should need. And, and, you know, let everyone else drop away. Who cares? So, but was your experience of losing friends as, <laughs> as blithe and as painless as you just described? I mean, it sounds oh, like no, I've had many. You're yeah, yeah, no, that's a presentation. Fair. That's I mean, a good it's question. so no, I've painful had... to lose. Yeah, so painful. I agree. No, it is. No, I've I've had many very heartbreaking losses of friends. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I've had a few episodes where, to this day, yeah, no, I think a little bit. I think about it sometimes, and and it's sad. And um, yeah, in some cases, I mean, it it can drive some people to utter despair. You know, for, so I take that very seriously. I'm not being glib about that. But then again, you know people have been burned at the stake for saying the truth, right? So losing a few friends in, in the real scheme of things, there, there are far worse things. And um, so I take your point and, and, and it is, it can be heartbreaking for sure, but you know, we got to keep things in perspective. 
Okay, how do you feel about Elon Musk's transhumanism, and how does that, how does that gel with your Christian faith? Well, I admire the man very much. I, I but I, I and I, I generally think he's pretty cool. Like, but um, I, I, I don't. I mean, he's not a philosopher, so I, I, you shouldn't judge him according to some like sophisticated. Okay, that was uh, Curious Gazelle there talking with independent thinker Justin Murphy. Great conversation. Didn't talk about David Brooks at all. I guess it turned into a decoding Justin Murphy episode. Bye-bye.